Some are very, very different from one another, but I love them both um, equally for different reasons. Like when I think of the mountains, I just love looking at the, the snow-capped peaks and the pine trees everywhere and just nature and the waterfalls, the smells, and there's just something about it that's absolutely amazing. And when you think of the ocean, um, I, just, I love the sand on the beach. I love to walk in the water and look for shells and to have that just that cool ocean breeze blowing on your face and there's just something magical about it, you know, especially when you're laying on a hammock, you know, sipping on some fresh squeezed orange juice or something like that. I mean, there's just something amazing um, about the ocean and the mountains. And in both places, I can almost just lose myself, you know, like the cares of the world kind of just go away. And there's only really about one thing that can throw me off in one of those two places. And that's if I see a sign that says, beware. So in the ocean, um, sometimes there'll be signs that say, beware in large letters, and it may say, sharks in the area. Or beware, riptides in the area or beware jellyfish in the area and there's just something about a sign like that that makes you step back and go do i really want to get in the water sharks are big right um when you're in the mountains i love the mountains but every once in a while depending on where you're at there'll be a sign that says beware of rattlesnakes now i don't know about you but of all the worst ways to die ever been bit by a snake would be it. And I've often said, I don't know, for me anyways, for, for I've often said, I don't know what would get me first, the poison or the cardiac arrest, because I'm scared to death of snakes. But uh, um, the, the, the point is, um, when you see a sign that says, beware, it catches your attention. It should anyways. And it better catch your attention when we think of when the Bible says, beware, especially when Jesus begins a statement by saying, beware. And so today as we continue with our study in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be um, seeing how Jesus gives us this very, very direct warning. Um, he gave this to them people, but I, can, but I can tell you that the warning he gives here is so relevant to us still today as his people and as his church. So let's go ahead and read this text and then we'll dig into it. So starting in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7, it says this, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. And so every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So if you're here last week, you'll hopefully remember that we talked about this choice that we all have as human beings. Um, this choice Jesus described um, in, in the way of two gates, two roads, and ultimately two destinations. And we saw that when it comes to our path in life and our ultimate eternal destination, we have one of two choices. We can choose the narrow gate, which 
yes, has a difficult road, but it ultimately ends in eternal life. Or we can choose the broad gate that may seem more enticing in the present. It's definitely the more popular gate, but in the end, its, its end is destruction, literally in a place the Bible describes as eternal hell. As we saw, this choice between the narrow gate or the broad um, one really comes down to a choice between who we want to serve and what we're willing to endure to serve them. One choice is to make Jesus the Savior and Lord of our lives while also choosing to accept whatever comes our way as we serve Him. And the other choice for a person essentially is to serve themselves by rejecting Jesus and choosing what the world has to offer instead of the Lord. And its end, as I said, is what the Bible describes as destruction. Now, that seems like a pretty clear-cut choice, doesn't it? I mean, it would seem that depending on which gate people choose, they would know that I've chosen this direction of this path for my life. But is it possible that there are people who think that they are on the narrow road that leads to eternal life in heaven, but are actually on the broad road, unwittingly, on this path that leads to hell. And the answer to that question, as we see in God's Word, is absolutely yes. You know, it's been said that verses 21 and 22 especially um, are, are some of the most scary verses in all of Scripture. And I would go as far as to say that if there is any one passage of the Bible that is particularly relevant to the modern church, what we read in this text today is, should be listened to and should be um, really just thought about uh, as we search ourselves inwardly in our lives. This, this idea that there's going to be many people who stand before Christ someday on Judgment Day who think they're about to be accepted into heaven and instead they're rejected and sent to hell for eternity. If there is any passage that we need to understand in Scripture, this is definitely the one we better pay attention to. And so let's kind of dig into this and kind of see what Jesus says about this. And it starts with what he speaks of here as false prophets. To beware of these false prophets. Now to define what a false prophet is, really we need to understand what the Bible describes as a true prophet, right? So the opposite of false is obviously true. And really the definition of a prophet is essentially just a, a spokesperson for God. Um, it's one who delivers God's message to the people of the world, right? Um, there, there have been lots of these people described in Scripture. Um, Enoch, Noah, Moses, Samuel, David, Isaiah, and a number of them in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus definitely um, was one of them. Even though he was the Son of God, he was still prophesied about things and spoke God's Word and spoke truth. Definitely he was a messenger of God. You have Peter, you have Paul, you have John, James, and so on. Um, and what all of these had in common is they were simply God's messengers chosen by God to speak truth to people throughout the world. And now in some sense, when people think prophet, they, their minds just instantly go to a person that, you know, tells the future, essentially, right? Or telling a, of a future event. But when Jesus is speaking here, that's not necessarily what he's speaking of because of who he is speaking to. Now, I say this often when we go through Scripture, but when we read the Bible, reading it in context is so, so important. Meaning, just we can't just take this one verse um, and you know these few verses here and ignore everything else around it. And so, what we have to ask when Jesus says this, who does he mean by false prophets? Well, he's been speaking of 
this whole time about the Pharisees, about the teachers of the law, about the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and throughout the entire context of the Sermon on the Mount. So clearly, here he's again referring to teachings that have been coming from these people, at the same time speaking of false prophets, false teachers that will come as history unfolds as well. So when we think prophet, as Jesus says here, it's really people who teach God's word, who give God's message to God's people, not necessarily people who are speaking of the future, right? And so today, um, this would include, when we think of false prophets or true ones, right? This would include um, pastors, evangelists, teachers, that type of people, people who teach and proclaim God's word to the people of the world, right? Um, Now, I don't think of myself as a prophet, but when I get ready to prepare a message, here's what I do. I I know the text, right, most of the time, and I will will read that text, and when you prepare a message, it's like, okay, this is what it's saying, but God, what's your message from this text for your people? Because a passage of Scripture can be applied in multiple different ways. So I spend a lot of time praying, God, what's the message for your people this week? And so when I come to you, I'm coming to you with a message from the Lord for his people, right? So and again, this here would apply to the position that I do as your pastor as well. But Jesus here is speaking not of true teachers of God's Word. He's speaking of false prophets, false teachers. And so what is a false prophet? Well, you could be described as a deceiver. One who claims to speak for God, but does not. Or as a manipulator, one who claims to speak truth, but instead twists it, distorts it, manipulates God's word to get to their agenda's end. Or, and honestly, they're an instrument of Satan. Um, One who is being controlled by satanic influence for the purpose of deceiving people and leading them astray. Sometimes they know that they're doing it. Many times the people don't realize that they're doing it. They themselves are deceived, and while they themselves are deceived, they're deceiving others. So all of these would be considered false prophets, a kind of a description of what a false prophet would be. And what Jesus says about them here in verse 15 is that false teachers, false prophets will come. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when? Because he says, beware of them. This is unfortunately a reality of this world still today. I can tell you that where God is at work to bring people to himself, we can be absolutely assured that Satan is equally at work, at really hard, trying to do the exact opposite to deceive people. So when Jesus says, beware here, this means that we need to be alert. Um, this warning of Jesus tells us that we need to always have our eyes open. We need to always have our ears open, paying attention to what is in front of us. Whoever we are listening to is kind of like that rattlesnake, beware of rattlesnake sign, right? You may find them, you may not. They may be there, you may never encounter one in your entire life, but Jesus says we need to have our eyes opened to the possibility that this may be something that we would experience. We also see that false teachers disguise themselves well. Again, in verse 15, beware of the false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep. This tells me that a false prophet is not necessarily easy to spot, and you really have to pay attention to find them. 
Now, just a, uh, an interpretation question. When he says here a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, is he talking, who's he talking about really? Now, most commentators that I have read this week believe that when, when they're saying this, Jesus probably wasn't saying that wolves were pretending to be sheep. The idea here was Jesus was probably referring to a shepherd. And oftentimes in this day, um, a shepherd would get their clothing from where? They're sheep, right? And so they would, this idea they would wear wool and pretend to be a shepherd when they're leading their sheep astray, leading their sheep, their flock, to destruction. So Jesus speaking here when he says a wolf in sheep's clothing, very, very much so speaking of leaders in the church, people that have spiritual authority in the church. Now, this is not to say that there will never be normal churchgoers that come in with an agenda, but here in context, Jesus is speaking about people with spiritual authority inside of the church. Now, why are these wolves and sheep's clothing hard to spot? Because he said they're disguised. Well, I can tell you that they will sound good. Many, um, mo- most of them, uh, most of the time, they will be smooth-talking people, um, very, very talented, influential speakers who have the ability to, to tap into people's emotions. One way to spot them is they usually avoid cultural things that are uncomfortable. They will speak around them without ever really dealing with them. They speak in a way that's very culturally acceptable pleasing to the ear. They usually look the part. They will almost always put on a good facade. Many times these people will have credentials for some organization. Many times they'll have dramatic calls of their, or dramatic stories of their calls into ministry. And usually they will have some truth that they say. They will more than likely have some semblance of truth in their teaching, but will mix some lies some false truths, some deception in with the truth. If you've ever seen rat poison, like the box of rat, rat, rat poison, 99% of it's good, but it's the 1% that will kill you. I'm not sure if you knew that or not, but it's 1% poison, 99% good stuff. Now, would you drink a glass of clear, ice-cold water with just a drop of cyanide inside of it. Well, no, why wouldn't you? I mean, 99% of it's good, right? But it's that 1% that brings destruction. And so we should look at false teachers in the same way. Jesus says here that false teachers are good at disguising themselves and will be very convincing to those they are around. But false teachers lead to destruction, and we need to avoid them. False teachers also, like I said, bring destruction. Verse 15, and the last part here, he says, but they're really vicious wolves, right? So what are wolves known for? Do wolves protect sheep? Well, no. They eat them, right? I mean, sheep are their prey. I mean, they're they're lunch. And so he's very, very graphic in his description of what he's saying here. See, a true shepherd, a good shepherd, a godly leader, a godly pastor will protect his church, protect his flock. They will heed the words that the apostle Paul gave Titus, for instance, the pastor of the island of Crete in Titus chapter 2 and verse 1 where he said to teach sound doctrine. 
See, a, a good leader, a good, true um, prophet, as Jesus would describe a true prophet, is one who is teaching the truth of God's Word for his people with no poison mixed in. What Paul, Paul was reading to, writing to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 through 30, this is what he says here. He says, so guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. And he says in verse 29, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. See, a true shepherd will protect his people, but false teachers will, are the ones who actually cause destruction to the people they lead. So then the question we have to ask is, well, how do they destroy? How, how does a false teacher bring destruction to the people that they are leading? Well, one way is they, 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 they destroy by teaching false doctrine that, for instance, excuses people of what the Bible describes as sin. It's not that big of a deal. God understands. You don't need to turn away from that. God will just accept you for who you are. We hear a lot of that today, don't we? They destroy people by causing division between them and God. When a person has sin in their life, they're separated from God. They destroy people by teaching a false gospel that will lead many of them to their Demise. We'll see here in just a few moments. There is one gospel, one door, one way, and the gate is narrow that leads to heaven. And there are a lot of false teachings that will lead people through the broad gate and not the narrow gate. Even false teachings that sound like the narrow gate, that look like the narrow gate, will still lead people through the broad gate that leads to hell. And so Jesus here describes this reality that these false teachers are coming. So the question is, is how do we tell the difference? How how do you tell the difference between a false teacher and a true one? Well, one thing is we need to examine them. It it is our responsibility, our job as Christians to examine, to listen, to, to scrutinize, if you will, what we hear. Not judge in a sinful way, but very, very focused, making sure that what we are hearing matches up and aligns with the Word of God. And the good thing for us that we see in verse 16 and in verse 20, look at verse 16. He says you can identify them. Jesus flat out tells us we need to look for them and you can identify them, right? How? But he says by their fruit, that is by the way they act. Again in verse 20, he says yes, you can identify a tree by its fruit. So he uses the symbolism, right? So you can identify people by their actions, So he says here we can identify them by the way they act, by their actions. He describes them as false teachers. And so as we think about how we identify someone that might be a false or true teacher, two things that really we should consider and look at. One of them is how is that person living their life compared to what the Bible says um, that their life should look like? And secondly, is what they are teaching actually biblical? Like, does it act, is the Bible actually say that what they're saying is actually true? Now, verse 16, in the second part there, he says, Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, right? So he, he just says, you, know, you can identify them by, by their fruit, that is the way they act. And then he asks this question. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes, 
figs from thistles. Now, what does he mean by this illustration? To an extent, I think that this has to do with the point of not drinking water that has poison in it, right? To an extent, right? Um, just because a, a pastor, a speaker, has charisma, has some encouraging things to say, does not mean that we should listen to them knowing that they have bad doctrine. We should steer clear. They are like a thorn or a thistle. They, they really have no value and will, have, and, will no more, and, and will more than likely cause harm. So it's far better to just stay away from them than it is to, well, I'll, I'll just you know, pick up the stuff that I know is wrong and take in the stuff that is good. That's not the way we should look at it. We should steer clear from them absolutely and completely because what do thistles and thorns have in common? They prick you, right? I mean, they cause harm. Now, what's interesting is, I, I looked up, here's my thought, right? So I have thistles that I can't get rid of in my yard. No matter how many times I spread them, dumb things with Roundup, they always come back. But you know what they have, what's interesting about a thistle? When they grow to a certain point, they have a flower. You know what color that flower is? Purple. What color are figs? Purple. Interesting. I, I looked, so that my mind's working, right? So I looked up thorn bushes in... Israel, and at a certain time of the year when they bloom, they have these little purple flowers that from a distance look like grapes. Now, I th so to an extent, I think what Jesus is using by this illustration is this, is that these people may look good, they may look like they have something to offer, but all you got to do is just walk up to it and go, that ain't real. I need to stay away from that. And so he's given us a responsibility here to say, it's your job to investigate that if what they are saying is true or is what they're saying actually false. Now, there are some false teachers like a thorn or a thistle that you can figure out very, very quickly that what they are saying is right or wrong, right? But there are some who the false teaching is a lot more subtle, that, that has to be investigated a lot more. And so Jesus gives here a second illustration of a tree and its fruit. Now, a fruit tree produces fruit, right? But look what he says here about the tree and its fruit in verses 17 and 18. He says, a good tree produces good fruit, a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Point, some false teachers may look the part, they may even look as if they are bearing fruit, but as you get close and examine them, you see that the fruit that they are offering is rotten. And as I said, we need to be diligent examining anyone, anything that, 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 that claims to be truth. It's our job to examine to make sure that that is good fruit. Not rotten fruit, not fake fruit, but good fruit. Meaning it actually lines up with what God actually says in the Word. And I, and I will tell you this, my pastor told me this years ago, and it has stuck with me, and I'm going to tell you this too, as your pastor, I hope you do this with me. Like, I, I hope that you just don't take my word as gospel and never investigate. I, it will not hurt my feelings. In fact, I will be joyful if you will actually go into your word and make sure that what I'm saying is actually true. Because it's your responsibility Jesus says here, to make sure that who is feeding you is feeding you good fruit. Now, how do we tell them apart, right? How do we tell these people apart? Well, one way I said is, is are they living their life, how are they living their lives compared to how God's Word says they should live their lives? Now, 
When you see a false teacher, and then they have some things that are in common. In fact, the Bible speaks to them, right? And here's some of the things that we can look out for as far as examining a person's life, even taking their teaching out of it for a minute, just examining their life. One question we should ask is this. Are these people greedy or always trying to get your money? It's a good question to ask. And I say this because of 2 Peter 2, chapter, chapter 2, and verse 3. Now, he is, um, the Apostle Peter here is speaking of false teachers in context, and he says this, In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. So that's the way Peter describes them, as people who are greedy for your money. Here's another one. Do these people take part in or openly excuse sexual sin. In, in the book of Jude, verse 4, again, speaking of false teachers, he says, certain individuals who, whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Hear that? A license for immorality and deny Christ our sovereign and Lord. We see a lot of that today. In churches, things that the Bible blatantly says is sin, is wrong, is perverse, is an abomination. We have pastors in the pulpit saying that this is now okay because God has changed and he will accept you for who you are. That is everywhere in our culture, in pulpits. We have to watch out for that. Here's another thing. Do they take advantage of people or exalt themselves in an attempt to be praised by people? Listen to Jude, verses 14 through 16. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Are they all about themselves? Are they all about self-praise? Are they all about what they can get out of what they're doing? Those are just three basic ways the Bible tells us there are three things, red lights, flashing lights, that should come on as we see these things in teachers. Now it comes to the second part, is what they're teaching actually biblical? Now, we need to differentiate here between what I would call essential truth and I hate to say non-essential truth, but essentials and non-essentials in Scripture. Because there is a difference. The Bible is a huge book with a lot of different topics, and there are some things that even the greatest scholars alive have differing opinions on. And to an extent that that's, that's okay, right? One of these things is a, a big term called eschatology, which is simply the study of the end times. The book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, all that. I mean, all these events like, is Jesus becoming before the tribulation, during, after, the whole millennial thing. There's, there's different scholars who have different opinions on those things. There is one truth, just nobody knows what it is because the Bible doesn't spell it out in black and white, right? And so there's different opinions on that. There's, there's different opinions on another fancy word called ecclesiology, which essentially is the nature and structure of the Christian church. And you see churches that look vastly different, right? Some churches have a contemporary worship style. Some have a traditional worship style. Does God care? Probably not. 
They, they could have a difference of opinion. Some churches are more liturgical, meaning, you know, they say the Lord's Prayer. They, do, they, they recite different creeds each week, and some churches don't. It doesn't matter. I mean, there, there's nothing in the Bible that says we should do one over the other. Um, some churches, the pastor stands off to the side, and that's okay. And most evangelical churches, the pastor stands in the center, and the purpose of this is symbolism that God's Word is the center of all we do. It's kind of the idea. The teaching of God's Word is central. And that's if you wonder why we preach from the middle of the pulpit, not on the side, that's why. Right? Um, some churches are set up as pastors and elders. Some churches as pastors and deacons. Again, the point is, there are some. there is some wiggle room for churches to function differently, and there is room for different takes on Scripture in certain areas. There's a lot of things, again, I would call non-essential things. Um, you know, these are areas of the Bible that aren't spelled out exactly and they're important, we should have discussions about them, um, but they are not things that a church should split over. They're not things to argue and fight about. It, it's okay to have a different opinion about a certain area of the Bible. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking something here, about something here that, that is far more important than different views on the end times. He is speaking of false doctrine that could land somebody in an eternity in hell. Would you say that that's serious? Would you say that we need to make sure that we get that part right? Absolutely. So, when we think about a person, are they teaching biblical things, right? On the essentials, are they grounded and are they 100% correct? Here's some things that we should consider and ask when we see a teacher, hear a teacher. What do they teach about the Bible? Meaning, do they teach that the Bible is fully authoritative and accurate? Do they teach that the Bible is true as much today as it ever was? Or do they teach that the Bible has changed? Do they pick and choose what we, what, what we, what we have to follow today and, and some of this stuff is no longer relevant for us today? Or, you know, uh, what the Bible calls sin, yeah, it was sin back then, but it's not really sin anymore. What are they, is the Bible authority or not? Now, I hate to use this example because it's such a political firestorm right now everywhere, but justices, like on the Supreme Court, You'll hear this term, a liberal justice or a conservative justice. You know what I'm talking about? You've heard this term, right? You know what that is? Here's what this means. It has nothing to do with their worldview. A conservative judge looks at the Constitution of the United States and says, we have to interpret it, what it says, by who wrote it, the circumstances that were going on, and so what they were thinking in 1776 or whenever it was written, that's how we need to interpret law today. That is set in stone, that never changes, it's always like this. Where a liberal judge looks at the Constitution and says, no, this is a living entity that we have to, we have to um, determine by which year we're living in what exactly it means for today, right? And so people look at the Bible in the same way. A liberal theologian, a.k.a. false teacher, will will say that we can't read the Bible and, and think about it the way they were thinking about it all of them years ago. No, we need to think about what it means for us today. Because those rules have nothing to do with us so we can translate it by what's going on in our culture. 
where a conservative theologian says, no, when we interpret Scripture, it's what was this saying at the time? Who was he writing to? Who wrote it? What were the circumstances, right? We have to think, and we describe Scripture that way. A true teacher is a conservative theologian that defines Scripture by what was written, when it was written, what God's intended original purpose was for that text. That's how the Bible should always be read, written, and taught. Another question we should ask is what do they teach about God? Do they teach that there is only one true God or many different gods? Do they teach that God is made up of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are equally holy, divine? Or do they teach or do they deny the triune God? Do they teach that God is sovereign creator and ruler over all things or not? Another question we should ask is what do they teach about the gospel? Do they teach that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who left heaven and came to earth as a baby, born of a virgin, right? Do they teach that he was fully man and fully God? Do they teach that he lived a sinless life, went to the cross, paid the full, pe- the full penalty for our sins, died, was risen again on the third day? Do they teach that? Or do they teach something different? Do they teach that his death and resurrection was enough to satisfy the payment for our sin? Because can I tell you something? There are some mainstream people that are prominent right now on TV preaching that have this belief that the cross wasn't enough. That Jesus actually, after he had died, he spent three more days fighting Satan in hell, and he finally arose victorious, and then salvation was complete. And what they're saying is that when Jesus said it is finished, it wasn't really finished. False teaching. It's out there. It's everywhere today. What do they teach about how someone gets saved receive salvation? Is it by God's grace through faith, or do they have to work for their salvation? Is it Jesus plus something, or just Jesus? Is repentance necessary, or can a person just go on living how they want to, even though the Bible says it's wrong, and still be saved? What do they teach? See, all of these things here are certainly what Jesus was referring to when he was saying, beware of false prophets. I can tell you that there is no shortage of them in our world today. And I'm not even talking about the known false religions like Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism. I'm talking about cults that are alive and well in America that are everywhere, mainstream, that claim to be Christian, but are far, something far, far different. Jesus said, or Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 4, there's, there's three characteristics that that the false teachers have. They preach a different Jesus than the one they preached, a different Holy Spirit than the one they received, or a different gospel. So a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. And I, I know tonight's a longer message, and I'm sorry for this, there's just so much to cover, but I want, to, I want you to be aware of this as a church. So there are some mainstream religions that claim to be the way to the narrow gate to heaven, but let me tell you what they believe. For instance, um, the Mormons, very, very prevalent. They, they believe in Jesus, they believe in God, they believe in the Spirit, sort of. But here's what they believe. They believe in a totally different God. He's a God among many gods. Jesus is not the, define, the divine 
Son of God, who was always eternal. He was a created being. He was the brother of Satan, two of Elohim's first children by having sex with one of his celestial wives. When you get deep down into their doctrine, that's the foundation of their belief. Absolutely false teaching. For instance, Jehovah's Witnesses, we see a lot of them. They believe in God. They believe in Jesus. They believe in the Spirit, sort of. He's not really a person. He's more of a force. Jesus is not divine. He is not God. He was actually Michael the archangel who was transformed and elevated the position of the Son of God after he died and rose again. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Completely different Jesus, completely different God, completely different spirit, completely different gospel. False doctrine, false teachers. And I don't say this last one to step on toes, but there is a reality because it is so prevalent. When you get into true Catholicism, they, they, to their credit, they believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. They believe in Jesus, the death, the resurrection, but it's not Jesus alone. It is Jesus plus the sacraments. You don't get true salvation and true cleansing through Christ's blood alone. It comes through taking of communion and baptism. And oh, by the way, when you die, you don't get to go straight to heaven because you have to pay for your sins and atone for them yourself in purgatory. That is a false gospel, and Paul says here it is a different gospel. So what do we do with those? Just because they're mostly right, do we just say, well, as long as they're teaching things that are mostly okay, then what's really the big deal? Let me tell you what Paul says in Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or even an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. That literally means in the Greek language, let him be damned to hell. Do you think the Bible is serious about the true gospel? About the true God? Absolutely. The importance of what Jesus is teaching here isn't a matter of simple preference or tolerance. He is speaking on a matter of eternal consequence for people because false teachers, Jesus said, will face eternal judgment. Look at verse 19. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. So he illustrates the fate of false teachers with the fate of a bad tree, and it said it will be chopped down and cast into the fire. What do you think that possibly means? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? False teachers will be judged for what they have done. And that judgment will be the eternal leg of fire. The book of Revelation talks about. Look at verse 21 through 23. Again, it's a scary passage of Scripture. Not everyone who calls out to be Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter heaven. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Many. You know, what I find interesting about this passage is that it's referring to many of the false teachers who 
actually believe that they are on their way to heaven. There will be false teachers who literally believe they're on their Pharisees, teachers of the law, religious leaders of Jesus' day, they thought they were on the narrow road that led to heaven. What did Jesus say? No, you're on the broad road, and it ends in destruction. But what's the problem? Jesus, the problem with these people is they didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. I mean, they go through this thing, they're going to see, he gives this picture, Jesus foreshadowing what's coming, where they're like, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. But he's going to say, but you never knew me. You didn't do God's will. You didn't receive me as your Savior. It was all religion. It was all just stuff you were doing. But you forsook the one thing that got you entrance into heaven. Me. Jesus. There will be not one person, I don't care how good they are, how religious they are, they will not enter the gates of heaven apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is absolutely no possible way. And it's not just the false teachers, it's anybody who believes them. People who believed in a false gospel, people who believed in a different God, people who believed in a different Jesus, people who believed that the religious activity was their ticket to heaven, all of them, Jesus will say, away from me for I never knew you. You doers of evil, you law breakers. Just a question. When he says here, I reply, I never knew you get away from me, you who break God's laws. Is there anybody in here that hasn't broken God's laws? Just out of curiosity. I'm guilty as charged. Why do I get to go to heaven? What's that? Bingo. It's my faith. It's the faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm a sinner, and I know that, and I know my only hope is Jesus Christ who went to a cross, died for my sins, was buried and rose again. And I said, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I am living my life from this moment for you and for your glory. That is the only difference between me and the person over there that has never received Christ. We're both lawbreakers. We both deserve hell. We are both evil. The only thing that gets us as Christians through heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to Colossians 2, 13 and 14. You were dead, speaking of all of us, because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away and he nailed it to the cross. So what do we do with this passage as I close? Here's one thing we need to do, all of us. Test yourself. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 says. Examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you, and if not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. See, something every person should do. Don't, don't just assume, I'm on my way to heaven. You need to ask yourself, why are you on your way to heaven? Why, why when you stand before Christ and he asks you, why should I let you in? What are you going to say? Well, I did this. 
Well, I was a good person. Well, I went to church. Well, I gave tithes. Well, I... And if that's your only answer, he will say to me, away from me. For I never, I never knew you. That's what he'll say. But if you can say, because I have made you the Savior and Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you, Jesus, my Savior. He will say, come on in. So have you made Jesus not just Savior, but Lord? The modern gospel is distorted in a lot of ways. Because the modern gospel has changed from I recognize my need for a Savior, I want Jesus as a Savior, but I also want to live on the broad road that leads to destruction. I want Jesus as Savior, but I want to live my life my way. Can I tell you something? That person is not saved. Because true salvation requires repentance. Repentance is I'm no longer living my way, I'm living Jesus' way. Have you done that? And is there evidence in your life that the Holy Spirit of God is in you? That's, that's one thing. Test yourself. Secondly, study God's Word and know the truth. The only way you're going to be able to be a fruit inspector, the only way you're ever going to be able to find out if people are speaking the truth is if you get into the Word of God and know what truth is. It's this whole idea of a, of a counterfeit currency inspector. You know, people who study dollar bills and $20 bills. They don't, when, when they are trained... They look at the real one, the right one, and they study every detail of a real $20 bill, every dot and tittle. And so they know that so well that when a counterfeit one comes through, it's instant they see it. They don't study the counterfeit, they study the truth. We need to know God's Word. Third and lastly, we need to watch out for one another. We need to protect one another. We are a church. We are a body of believers together. In Ephesians chapter 6, it speaks of the armor of God. And one of them, one of the armors, is the shield of faith. And the, the shield of faith here, if, if you can, maybe you've seen a picture of this in one of your Bibles, and it's a picture of a Roman soldier. Because during the time, Rome was in charge of the world, essentially. And, and they, Paul depicted this description of a Roman soldier. A unique thing about a Roman shield was that it locked together with the shield next to it. The shield on the right, the shield on the left. In fact, it locked on the ones on top. And so they were like a, an iron ball walking, and they could, they, they could defeat vast armies with few people because of that, because they were protected in the front and the rear, the top, the bottom. They are protected everywhere. That's what we need to be as a church. Some of us have more knowledge than others, and that's okay. We're all in different parts of our journey, but we need to be looking out for one another, protecting one another, keeping each other safe, you know, in, in encouraging each other and showing people when they are being deceived or, or watching somebody or something that, that is wrong, it's our job to come alongside of them and help them. We have to protect one another. And with that, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day, for this um, opportunity in your word. Lord God, it's just a, a tough one tonight, Lord God, it's, but it's serious. Because Jesus, you warned us. You said, beware. We've got to watch out. And, and it's important because it's eternity is at stake, Father. And I pray that we would all take that seriously. And Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, if there be one in this place that is even a bit unsure, Lord, I, I don't want to make people feel unsure, God. That's not my job. But if there's any doubt in their mind that if they were to stand before your throne today, what you would say, God, I pray that they would make that decision to follow you in faith. 
no matter what they've done in the past, let them today all over again say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Let them make that decision. And God, for all of us, let us be diligent. Let us be studiers of your word. Let us be um, people who have our eyes and ears open, making sure that what we are taking in is truth. God, give us his grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And to be close, we're going to stand and sing um, a, one last song here. And what this song is, is just, we're singing truth.